Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. All right. Thank you, dear. Appreciate that very much. We will be celebrating our 55th anniversary uh, later this summer. Uh, and uh, three grown adult children and seven grandchildren. My daughters got married very early, barely 20. So their kids are in their 20s or teens. My son held out, like some people I know, uh, till the end. Uh, and uh, finally got married uh, when he was about 30. Uh, and so he's got a eight-year-old and a six-year-old, so that's a wild ride for us. We've got them from nearly 30 all the way down to six. Uh, and uh, what else? How many of you have grandchildren as well? Lots of you. God bless you. We'll meet for prayer later in the parking lot, uh, whatever. But uh, it's always a joy to be with you. What a wonderful church. The sense of the Lord's presence is here. Uh, the enthusiasm of God's people is just incredible, uh, and uh, God has blessed you with a wonderful pastor. He was not only a great student, uh, but uh, I can tell he just exudes uh, the glow of the Lord uh, in every way. So you pray for him and encourage him, uh, etc. And 10 years, that's hard to believe. Uh, you know that that probably puts you in the top 10 to 20% of all pastors in America. Most guys don't last 10 years. The deacons kill them sooner. Uh, and uh, I think the national average is like two or three years. That's all. So 10 years is great. And if you make 20 years, you're, you're in the top 1% uh, of the whole country. So uh, anyhow, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you for your prayers and encouragement uh, for liberty. We've actually gotten through the whole COVID crisis in pretty good shape. I've talked to some friends in other Christian schools where they've even had students die. Uh, we have not had any of that. Uh, the numbers are pretty minimal, given 15,000 students on campus. Uh, but at the same time, uh, as I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour, uh, Donna and I caught it back in December. I taught a uh, three-day, eight-hour-a-day uh, intensive at seminary level for six Hispanic pastors uh, and uh, great guys. But three of them had it, uh, and uh, I caught it and probably gave it to her. She survived on uh, prednisone. I ended up in the Lynchburg Hospital for a couple of nights, uh, but uh, God was good, uh, and uh, we've recovered totally and are technically immune uh, to the whole thing. So uh, thank you. For those of you that are wearing a mask, God bless you and thank you. Those that decide not to, God bless you and thank you. Uh, just you do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Uh, my advice is, you don't want to get it. Uh, it's no fun. Uh, we've had it. So we'll pray that uh, the Lord gets this under control relatively quickly. Now, people say to me all the time, well, this was a tough year. This was nothing compared to the judgments of God that are coming in the future. Uh, and uh, this caught me by surprise. You think this was a surprise? Wait till the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts and millions of people are out of here uh, to the glory of God. That'll catch everybody by surprise. And if the pandemic shocked people, what do you think that's going to do? 
So the question always is, can we really still believe in the rapture? Now you're probably thinking, Ed, I've always believed in the rapture. Why are we even raising that question? Because there are a lot of people today that don't. Uh, and a lot of books being written suddenly uh, against the idea of the rapture. I was actually sitting uh, in a church where a friend of mine was the pastor, but he was what's called amillennial, no rapture, no millennium, whatever. Jesus will come at the end and it's over and that's it. Uh, and he preached a whole sermon against the rapture and his concluding statement was, and so we see there never will be a rapture. All we have to look forward to is trouble, trouble, and more trouble. And his own congregation moaned out loud. And they were Presbyterians. If you can get Presbyterians to moan, you've hit them really hard. Uh, they just moaned. I was tempted to stand up in the back and shout, Wherefore, comfort one another with those words. But I didn't. <laughs> After the service, I said, Wilson, you and I both know there has to be a rapture. There has to be a time when the dead in Christ are raised and the living are caught up. We just differ on when, not what. But unfortunately, a lot of people who do not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture will go around saying things like, well, there never will be a rapture. No, there has to be. You have to put it somewhere. Before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation, there is no tribulation. Uh, the whole church age is tribulation. Then before the millennium, after the millennium, there is no millennium. We're already in the millennium. Uh, you, then you've got to put it at the end of time. You have to put it somewhere. You can't just take 1 Thessalonians 4, rip it out of the Bible, and throw it away. In fact, take your Bible and find that passage. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, a couple of books are left back on the book table. Uh, Mark Hitchcock and I co-wrote uh, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture? Have a wonderful endorsement from uh, Dr. David Jeremiah right on the cover. Uh, there's just a couple of those left, but if what I'm talking about today uh, intrigues you and you want to study it deeper, uh, it's all in there. And then there are some copies, I think, left of the uh, Prophecy uh, Handbook. The topics are arranged alphabetically, so you can look up Armageddon, Rapture, Second Coming, whatever, in alphabetical order, or Exploring Bible Prophecy from Genesis to Revelation is a commentary on every prophetic passage in the entire Bible, uh, and you can look it up uh, biblically. Uh, tonight, uh, at 6 o'clock, I'm going to address seven huge lies about Bible prophecy. Uh, oh, what are those? That the rapture is really not in the Bible. Go through a concordance, look up the word rapture, it's not in the concordance. So is it not in the Bible? Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. The word Sunday is not in the Bible. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Uh, but the concept is there, so we'll talk about that and answer that tonight. Some people teach that Satan is already bound by the power of the cross that the binding of Satan in Revelation 20 has already occurred, really. Uh, others say we're already in the millennium, that the millennial blessings don't go to Israel, they go to the church, uh, and that uh, eventually the church replaces Israel 
in the plan of God. That is very popular teaching, unfortunately, today in a lot of churches. Uh, that uh, what is happening in Israel today has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. Uh, it is simply an accident of history uh, because uh, the church is the new Israel. The church will go through the tribulation. I dealt with that in detail in Sunday school. We'll hit it again tonight. The Antichrist can be identified today. I've been in the ministry for over 50 years. I've heard every crazy idea you can imagine about who the Antichrist is. It's John Kennedy. Yeah, well, he died. Uh, he was assassinated. People say he's not dead. They froze him. Uh, they're going to throw him out one day and bring him back. He'd be over 100. It's Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? Uh, yeah, he's got six letters in each of his three names. Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666. I had a lady in Oakland, California tell me he's the Antichrist. Well, he's dead and gone. Uh, well, it's Gorbachev. He's got that birthmark on his forehead, the mark of the beast, uh, etc. It's Bill Clinton and Hillary's the false prophet. Uh, it's some president I didn't vote for and don't like, uh, etc. It's always an American president. Uh, it's, why don't you pick on Canada, uh, whatever, uh, etc. And then number seven, that we can predict the date of the rapture. Don't fall for people predicting dates. Again, I've heard all of it. 1972, 75, uh, 88, uh, 92, 2000, uh, whatever, uh, 2011, etc. Uh, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour of my coming. Now people will say, well, it says the day and the hour, but it doesn't say the year. So let's guess the year. Well, the point of the passage is nobody knows the time, so don't waste your time trying to guess the time. Be ready all the time because Jesus could come back at any time. Well-taught people. All right, now, let's get to our topic of the rapture. Also, a reminder, a couple of you asked me about our television program, uh, The King is Coming. Uh, we're on both Dish and Direct TV uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, we're on Hope Now on the Thomas Road uh, app and their channel tonight at 9. And then we've just gone on Daystar, uh, but it's on at midnight here. DVR it. We're on 9 o'clock uh, at night in California. That works very well for us. And tonight I'm dealing with uh, uh, the three great end-time wars. The Battle of Gog and Magog, the Battle of Armageddon, and the one everybody forgets about the final revolt after the millennium, uh, etc. And then uh, the next couple of weeks we'll be dealing with Palm Sunday and Easter live from Israel, uh, messages I taped on site in Israel, and then we'll be back to dealing uh, with a lot of prophecy topics uh, after that, etc. But uh, the message of the coming of Christ is basic to Christianity. Jesus told the disciples... If I go back to heaven, to the Father's house, I will do what? Tell me. Come again and receive you unto myself. As a result, virtually every Christian denomination affirms the second coming, at least in some sense. Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, uh, Charismatics, Pentecostals, etc. They all believe that somehow, someway, someday, Jesus will come again. The difference is the when and the how. The hope of the second coming 
is from the very lips of Jesus himself. Even a liberal theologian like Emil Brunner said, a Christian faith without the expectation of the second coming is like a ladder which leads nowhere. Uh, there has to be a time when Jesus returns to fulfill his promise to the believers. When he comes back for the bride of Christ. When he comes back to take us body, soul, and spirit to the Father's house. And those of us that believe he's coming back to reign and rule on earth, there has to be a time that he literally returns to rule in his millennial kingdom. The facts of Bible prophecy are very clear. Jesus will come again. It's a fact. The dead in Christ will rise and the living will be caught up. That's a fact. Beyond that, the interpretations have to do with the when and the how, the timing. And then beyond that, everything else is speculation. It's either an educated or uneducated guess. My dear friend Tim LaHaye, we did 70 prophecy conferences together. Tim believed that when you went up in the rapture, all your clothes fell off and they were left behind uh, as a testimony of the fact that you'd been raptured away. I used to tease him and say, Tim, what about your glasses? What about false teeth, fillings, artificial parts? Some of us would have more left behind than God. You know, there's grandma. She left a pile. None of that was real. I don't know. There are some things we won't know until it happens, uh, etc. But I want to suggest to you this morning seven assurances about the rapture that we can know for sure. First of all, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me remind you again of the context. The Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey in the book of Acts, goes to the town of Thessalonica. It's in northern Greece. It's still there. I've been there. And when he got there, there were no Christians in Thessalonica. None. It was basically a pagan Roman city in Greece. And he only stayed three weeks. Preached the gospel. People were saved. A church was planted. He taught them the basics of the Christian faith, including the fact that Jesus was coming again. And three weeks later, he left. Now, some months later, the question comes up in this church, well, some of our members have died in the meantime. Did they miss the second coming? Did they miss the return of Christ? They're already dead. And he's writing the letter back to them in about the year 51 to 52 A.D. This is 30 years after the resurrection is all. Uh, excuse me, 20 years after the resurrection. Now, don't fall for people on the History Channel saying, oh, the books of the Bible were written hundreds of years later. No, they weren't. This is 20 years after the resurrection. Paul has already been saved. He's already entered the ministry. And he's already finished the first missionary journey. And he's already finished the second missionary journey when he writes this letter back to them. And he's going to assure them that you haven't missed the rapture of the church. Now, in light of that, uh, 
Look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. I'll read the passage, then we'll break it down in seven basic points. Verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep. That is, dead. The body's asleep in the grave, the spirit's alive in heaven. That you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. Unbelievers facing death have no hope that we'll ever see this person again. If you're a believer, we have hope. Why? Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and He rose again, even so, those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Why? Because at death, while the body goes to the grave, the spirit goes where? To heaven, to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. But at the rapture, your spirit returns with Jesus to get your body. Then he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent or precede those that are asleep. Why? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And if you'd like to mark things in your Bible, you might circle the words caught up. While the English word rapture does not appear in the English Bible, the English translates the term caught up. Caught up together with them where? In the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth. So shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Those of you that are alive and remain may live until the coming of the Lord. Those that have died, spirits gone to heaven, bodies in the grave, Jesus is coming back one day to resurrect that body, reunite it with the spirit forever. Now people will say sometimes, well, if I already died and went to heaven, why am I coming back to get my body? Because if you don't do that, you are only a disembodied spirit for eternity. And the promise of Scripture for the believer is, if Jesus literally rose from the dead, so will we. That your body will be resurrected one day. A glorified body. Now there's all kinds of speculation about that. Now, am I going to be a blonde uh, or a brunette or a redhead? Am I going to be taller, shorter? Am I going to look better? You're going to be you. Uh, when Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples said, oh, it's Moses and Elijah. Somehow they recognized him. Uh, I don't think they had a name tag on, uh, whatever. But I think your glorified body is going to be the best you possible. Uh, you at your very, very, very best. Now, when we study Bible prophecy, don't make the Bible say more than it's saying, but don't make it say less than it's saying either. So let's look at the passage. Number one, it begins with a reminder. Do not grieve 
like unbelievers. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have died, that you sorrow not even as others, unbelievers, because you have the hope of what? Eternal life and the resurrection of the body. So when death comes, an unbeliever sorrows because that's the end. If secular evolution is true, you are just a blip on the horizon of millions of years and you're gone. And a million years from now, nobody will ever know you were here. And nobody will care. Your life is basically meaningless stardust floating around in the universe. The Big Bang Theory idea. The stars exploded and out we came eventually, whatever. Or, if evolution is not true, and you are the unique creation of God, you are created and given life by the eternal living God because He created you to do what? Live with Him forever. So that's why human beings are never satisfied with anything less than that which is eternal. Now, when somebody gets older and they die, 70, 80, 90, younger people will say, He lived a good life. Yeah, try telling that to most 80-year-olds. Well, you've lived a good life, so it's time to check out. No, you're still hanging on for all you're worth. Why? We're created to live forever. And God has given us a desire for eternity. But we don't grieve when a loved one dies like an unbeliever grieves. Do we grieve? Yes. He doesn't mean if you're a born-again Christian, don't cry if you've lost a loved one. No. Grief is part of a natural process. Uh, it's okay to grieve. But you don't grieve like an unbeliever who grieves hopelessly. This is the end. And I will never see them again. The term asleep here in the King James uh, is simply a reference to the idea of death. When Stephen was uh, stoned to death in the book of Acts, the scripture says he fell asleep. He died. And what did he say at that moment? Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. The spirit doesn't die. The spirit's still alive. The spirit goes to heaven to be with the Lord. Second thing we see in this passage is a reassurance that one day the dead will return. Look again at verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and He rose again, well, how did Jesus rise? Literally, bodily, physically. Yes, it was a glorified body that could appear inside the walls with the disciples and disappear. But it was a real body because he would say to the disciples, touch me and see that I'm real. Thomas, put your finger in the nail print. It's really me. Somebody asked me once, do you think there will be anything man-made in heaven? I thought about that for a moment and said, well, yes, if nothing else, the nail prints in Jesus' hands and feet. After the resurrection in a glorified body, he still had the nail prints, which will shout to us for all eternity. I love you. I love you. I did it all for you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody's done for you what He's done for you. He died in your place, took your sin upon Himself, etc. Jesus died and literally rose again. He 
on three occasions ate with the disciples after the resurrection. I like those verses. That implies we can eat in heaven and hopefully not gain weight uh, forever, etc. But notice what else he says. If we believe that he died and he rose again, even so, those that sleep in Jesus, those that have died in faith, will God bring with him. When? When God in the person of Jesus Christ returns. When Jesus comes back, those that have died will return with him. To do what? Ultimately, to get their body. He will return is the third promise, uh, the third assurance that we have. Uh, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven, come down from heaven, and he comes down with three signals, a triumphal shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Not the last trumpet in the Bible, but it's the last trumpet for the church age. There are still trumpets of judgment that follow in the book of Revelation. There are still uh, trumpets that will be sounded in the millennial kingdom, etc. But the trumpet for the believers is the final call. Now, sometimes critics of the rapture say, well, you guys are teaching a secret rapture. Only the believers hear the trumpet and hear the voice of the archangel. Well, first of all, if millions of born-again people suddenly disappear, it's not a secret. Uh, the whole world will realize something happened. Aliens got them. Laser beams zapped them. Whatever they come up with, something happened. It's not a secret. It's personal. It's specific. When Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus and spoke to the Apostle Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, etc. He immediately saw the Lord, heard the verse, and responded accordingly. Donna, you're trying to read the Bible on your phone and it's talking to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's actually a good app uh, to have. But uh, that guy's got a great voice. Wish I had it. When God spoke to Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was the only one, or excuse me, when God spoke to Paul, Paul was the only one that heard him. The rest of the men knew something had happened, but they didn't hear it. When the Lord spoke to Daniel in a vision in the book of Daniel, only Daniel hears the voice. Jesus said, My sheep know my voice and hear me when I call. Just as God prompts you and I to follow Him in obedience in various ways, convicts us of sin or calls us to Himself, so he will call us home to the Father's house. But that will involve, number four, the resurrection of those that have died. When the Lord returns and the departed spirits of believers return with him, then he says again, the dead in Christ, at the end of verse 16, will rise first. Why? Well, for no other reason, they're six feet under to catch up with everybody else who's alive on the surface, uh, etc. The spirit is alive and returns with Christ. The body is dead in the grave and the body is resurrected, reunited with the spirit because we're going to come back and serve him in his millennial kingdom forever. Uh, for a thousand years on earth, 
uh, and forever and ever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth in eternity. Uh, that we have more living ahead of us than we do behind us. Uh, you, I don't care how old you are. You still have the rapture, the trip to the Father's house, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the marriage of the Lamb, the bride of Christ to the Lamb. You have the triumphal return, the millennial kingdom, uh, and then the eternal city. Uh, we have an entire eternity to fellowship with one another and with the Lord because He's coming back to resurrect those that are dead in Christ. About 50 times the New Testament uses that phrase in Christ to refer to the church, believers from the church age. Now, I believe that the rapture is specifically for the church, the bride of Christ. I believe He'll resurrect the Old Testament saints to go into the millennial kingdom because Jesus said of the believers, we'd sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and the Old Testament saints in the kingdom. But the rapture is uniquely for those that are in Christ. That means if you're not born again and you don't know the Lord as your Savior and the Lord comes, the archangel shouts, the trumpet sounds, you're not going to hear a thing. And suddenly you're left behind. Then it's too late. That's why it's so important to know that you're ready to go whenever the Lord comes. Now, as I said earlier this morning, plan your life as though you have a lifetime to serve the Lord. But prepare your heart as though Jesus could come at any moment, at any time, that I'm ready to go whenever the Savior comes. Why? Because He's not only going to resurrect the dead, He's going to rapture the living. The living, those that are alive and remain, will in verse 17 be caught up. That's how most English Bibles translate the rapture word. The word rapture technically comes from the Latin Bible, rapio or pere. The original Greek New Testament that Paul wrote this in Greek, the word is harpazo. You say, oh, what does that mean? snatched away, caught away uh, in modern English like zap, you're out of here to the glory of God. It's quick, it's instantaneous. Uh, in a moment, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead are raised, the living are caught up, etc. Uh, and you have several examples of raptures throughout the Bible. This is not the only passage in which this is taught. In the book of Genesis, Enoch walked with God and was not. The Lord took him alive to heaven. Elijah was caught up alive in a chariot of fire, 2 Kings chapter 2. So you have two raptures in the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah. Then in the New Testament, Philip witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch. The African man is saved. Philip baptizes him. And then it says, Harpazo, he was caught away, a temporary rapture and dropped down about 30 miles up the road. Uh, Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven at one point. And he uses the word arpazo, the rapture word. So in those two cases, at least, you have a temporary rapture. Uh, whether it's body and soul, I don't know for sure. Whether they're caught away in spirit or literally. But in the case of Philip, he was picked up and dropped down instantly at another place. 
And then Jesus' ascension is referred to as a harpazo in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 11, it refers to him as the child that's been born, that Satan tries to kill and stop the Messiah, but he was caught up to the Father's throne in heaven. The ascension is called harpazo in Revelation chapter 11. And then you have the prophecy, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12. And then in chapter 11, you have the story of the two witnesses during the time of tribulation, two Jewish leaders who've come to faith that Jesus is Hamashiach, the Messiah. They're preaching the gospel in Jerusalem uh, for apparently three and a half years. The Antichrist has them killed, literally. Their dead bodies are lying in the street for three and a half days, so you're now into the second half of the tribulation. Uh, and then the Bible says the spirit of life from God entered into them they stood on their feet and they were caught up into heaven. So you have a mini rapture of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Now, I'd love to be watching CNN on that day uh, because it says in the passage the whole world was celebrating that they were dead and watching them lying dead in the street in Jerusalem. Back in the 1950s, I remember hearing a pastor say, I don't know how that verse could literally be fulfilled. I, I believe it will be, he said. But I don't know how the whole world could be watching two guys dead in Jerusalem, uh, literally uh, in real time, uh, for three and a half days. But my guess is, he said, it's probably got something to do with television. Uh, yeah, we now know. Uh, instantaneous satellite transmission of a signal. You can be live in Jerusalem right now, today, on site. Uh, you can be live in Moscow, live in Los Angeles, live in New York City or whatever. The world has shrunk and it's on our doorstep right now. So there are examples of raptures in the Bible. This is not some new, strange, unusual idea. Uh, in fact, he tells us that it will take place, notice, in the air. So there are two aspects then to Christ's coming. The rapture is in the air. The return later is to the earth. The rapture, you go to the Father's house, to the judgment seat of Christ, to the marriage. In the return, we return later triumphantly with Jesus to reign and rule on earth. And there are a lot of people who try to say, well, you're teaching two second comings then. No, it's two aspects of the return of Christ. He returns for the bride in the air. He returns with the bride to the earth in judgment to reign and rule. There are multiple aspects of the first coming of Christ. His birth in Bethlehem, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That was all part of the first coming. Multiple aspects of the first coming. There are at least two aspects of the second coming. The rapture to heaven, then the return to the earth. Why are they not the same thing? Uh, you just go up, meet the Lord, and immediately come back. And there are a lot of books being written today suggesting that. Well, because it doesn't leave time for the judgment seat or the marriage. And when you look at the passages about the rapture and the passages about the return, there are too many 
differences. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air for His own. In the glorious appearing, the return, He comes with the church to the earth. Uh, the rapture uh, takes the believers to heaven. The return, He's coming back instantly in the return, but all the world will see Him. At the rapture, nobody sees Him. Only the believers. In the return, every eye will see Him coming. Uh, as the lightning shining from the east to the west, they'll see the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man coming in heaven with power and great glory and mourn. Uh, so there are multiple differences on this list. The rapture unleashes the day of wrath. The return is the day of wrath, uh, etc., on the earth. In other words, these two events cannot occur simultaneously. There are too many differences. And again, in the book, we list those all in detail. The rapture occurs, then the tribulation begins on earth, then the time of wrath, after those seven years, then the return to set up the kingdom. Number six, the rapture involves a reunion of all believers in the church age, because he says, and so shall we forever be with the Lord. That means if your parents or grandparents knew the Lord and passed away, you will be with them again forever. A child, a brother, a sister has died that knows the Lord. If you're in Christ, you will be with them forever. The rapture involves the greatest reunion of believers of all time. When the entire born-again church of the Lord is assembled together, synagogued together, uh, gathered together in the air to meet the Lord in the air. So then the passage ends, number seven, with the resolution, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, the word comfort, parakaleo, is a Greek word from which we get the word what? The paraclete. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the paraclete. It's the same word. We are to comfort one another with spiritual comfort because the Holy Spirit of God has entered into our lives and we've been born again by the power of God. Our lives have become co-eternal with the life of God and we will live forever because He lives forever. So the purposes of the rapture then are to take the bride to the Father's house, John 14. I'll come back for you and take you to the Father's house where I am going. To take us to the judgment seat of Christ because all believers must stand before what's called in Greek the Bema Seat Judgment to receive your rewards for service unto the Lord. To take us in Revelation 19 to the marriage with Christ. Now it's symbolic of our union with Christ spiritually, but the idea is the marriage takes place in heaven. Revelation 19. You have to go up in the rapture first to go to the marriage before the return. And then after the judgment seat where you receive the rewards and the marriage where you receive the white robe of righteousness, then the triumphal return. You have to go up before you come back and return with Christ when He comes to the battle of Armageddon, speaks the word, 
slays the army of the Antichrist. Not with guns and tanks and bombs. He doesn't need that. He who spoke the world into existence speaks and it's over. The beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. Satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. And the saints reign and rule with Christ then on earth. So the rapture has to be premillennial before the millennial reign. And I think it's clear it has to be pre-tribulational in order to take us to the Father's house, to the judgment seat of Christ, to the marriage, and back in the return. But when people ask me, and I talked a little bit about it in the Sunday School Hour, uh, why are you really ultimately convinced that the rapture has to occur before the time of tribulation? Because the time of tribulation is called the wrath of the Lamb. When Jesus opens the seals in the book of Revelation, it's the wrath of the Lamb. The trumpet judgments are an expression of the seal judgments, the wrath of the Lamb. The bowl judgments are called the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, He who knew no sin, the Bible says, was made sin for us. And the wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross. So when he shouts, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not so much that God cannot look at him. It's that God looks at him in wrath and judgment. And the wrath of God falls on Jesus in those moments. Jesus died in your place and calls you to put your confidence in what he's done for you. So that if somebody were to say to you, do you believe that he's coming again. Yeah. Do you believe that he's coming for you? I hope so. That's not the right answer. You don't want to hope so. You want to what? Know so, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. The best you can. The best you can is never going to be good enough. Why? We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by the good work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and all he asks us to do is put our confidence in what he did. Trusting him as your personal savior is saying, it is enough that Jesus died for me and took the wrath of God for me. And if that's true then, the conclusion is, We'll jump ahead to that. The bride of Christ is not the object of the Savior's wrath. She's the object of the Savior's love and of His grace and of His plan and His purpose for our future. And yet there are those who mean well who say, well, the church is in such bad shape these days. I think she's got to go through tribulation and judgment and persecution to kind of beat the sin out of her to get her ready for the marriage. Well, that sounds like Protestant purgatory to me. Now, I'm going to show you a picture not to offend you, but to make a point. The battered bride. Is that Jesus' plan for the church? Beat her up? Then take her to the marriage? I don't think that works at all, symbolically. Now, that's technically an actress. Farrah Fawcett, I believe, but be that as it may, you get the idea. Is Jesus' plan for the bride of Christ, the church? Beat her up, beat her up, beat the sin out of her, and until you finally get her ready to go to heaven. 
I would say no a thousand times no. Jesus took the beating for us on the cross. So we come into the Easter season, we need to remember that. He died in your place because He loves you. And He rose from the dead to offer you the gift of eternal life. And it's promised that if you know Him as your Savior at death, your spirit goes to heaven to be with Him. Your body goes to the grave, but one day He'll come back even for your body to reunite it with your spirit so that body, soul, and spirit will live forever with Him and serve Him forever. He has a wonderful plan for your life. But it all begins with the first step. The time to say yes to Him. When I sat in vacation Bible school as a kid from an unbelieving family. My parents did later come to faith, but at that point in time, I didn't have one Christian relative, not one. No aunts, no uncles, no cousins, no parents. Nobody knew the Lord. And I understood that Jesus loved me and died for me and rose from the dead for me. I understood a good deal that you could go to heaven and have your sins forgiven forever and it was free. I raised my hand. Yes. I'm ready to believe that. I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to make that commitment. And many of you have already made that commitment. And now I want to remind you, no matter what challenges you face in life, that was the greatest decision you'll ever make. And some of you may have thought about it, but you've not actually come to the point of saying, yes, for sure, I'm in. The name of my telecast is The King is Coming. And I am convinced He is. He's coming in the rapture for the church. He's coming again in judgment on the world. Jesus is coming again, but the question is, is He coming for you? And you're the only one who can answer that. Is the answer yes, no, maybe, probably, probably not. Jesus wants to give you the confidence that these things the Scripture says are written that you might know that you have eternal life. It's a free gift. Receive it by faith and God will keep His promise. Save your soul, bless your life, and give you a home in heaven forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.